Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. So Celine, the first question I want to ask you before we get on to the main topic of today's discussion is how did your roti go? Oh, the bread that I was making. <laughs> yes. Yes. I Indian made bread. It. Yes, it was good. It worked. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It was slight. The recipe was slightly weird, so I'm going to like change it a bit. But it was good. Cool. What did you have it with? Um, I made tandoori paneer. So, like, mm. you know, when you uh, I marinated it and then I um, grilled it. Nice. Put it in the wraps in the roti wraps with chutney and mint. Ooh, that sounds really good. And we technically had fenugreek chips with it, but which is like Indian spice, but um, it was very filling so we barely touched the chips oh really yeah oh, well, we had sweet wow. corn as well oh. T- surprise surprise cheese and bread is quite filling <laughs> so yeah we won't do, we've got leftovers so we won't do that again you're making so. my mouth water very good okay well that's um that's uh, that's all very good but what are we going to talk about today um how do we describe it Celine? Work life balance. I think it's so very self explanatory. Your work, balance life the balance. balance in your life between your work and your life. Your yeah. other bit of life. That thing that you do for most of the day and then the things that you do outside of it. So so there are some academics who don't like that term, work life balance, because yeah, it suggests that work is one thing that isn't actually part of your life. Um, <laughs> um so it kind of doesn't make sense. So actually what a lot of people call it is work non work balance um however not many people Let's just actually call out. it that Do you know Let's what I just mean? call it work-life balance yeah so we're gonna call it that um and i we we sort of discussed what we we're going to talk about and this came up as a subject and i think i thought well that sounds a little bit dull but then when i started to research i started to realize how important this subject is when it relates to cults and high control groups because I, um, I said didn't i, I was like yeah. you know especially i think people have left cults obviously while you're in one it's an issue but then like when you're i guess that's called the recovery process mm. i think that's one of the things that you kind of need to go through the recovery process for is reclaiming your work-life balance <laughs> yes um because in most likelihood it is gone <laughs> it has been eroded or you never had one well, yes. I mean, if you're a um, a raised in member, um, born in, raised in it, then I would you probably say, don't really know that. I, I think, I think, Dad, therapize yeah, you. I think you struggle with the work life balance. <laughs> I totally do. Yeah, I totally do. I don't <laughs> deny it. <laughs> Just like, yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hard work getting yeah. you to 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 stop the work. It was funny, yesterday I spoke to Riley, um, our friend Riley, also 
Jexit on his great channel. He mm-hmm. uh, he called me. We're having a chat, um, and he said, How, "How's your day going?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I'm chilling a bit today. Um, Sarah's off work, and we're just..." Chill. And I was literally sat at the computer doing some work. <laughs> You're just lying to yourself, others. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I wasn't chilling out at all. I was actually working, and in my head, that was a chill out day. No. <laughs> what is wrong with me? You're very, you're very confused. <laughs> is what you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you'll be like, I don't know. I like to chill, man. It's good for you. Chill. Relax. Yes. Um, Enjoy your life. I, I, I agree. Um, all right. So we're going to explore this subject because. Um, in cults, of course, you could say that because it is a, a totalistic work, it is a totalistic environment, which basically means that all of your existence is taken up thinking, doing, working in this group, for this group, thinking about this group. Um, there is no boundary between uh, work and non-work if you like your 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 whole existence is taken up by this group and if you're not physically working you're praying or reading about something or you're do you know what i mean so that it's very difficult to understand that concept really um so yeah i think it's a really important one to talk about and when i when i first started to think about it it suddenly occurred to me that um jesus had a bit of a work-life balance problem. Uh, what do you think Jesus. about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say you, as the as the knower of the Bible in this duo, you probably know more than I. But I would suggest yes, his entire life and purpose was to work and do the do the work. Because I think in the religious terms, it's called the work, isn't it? You know what you're doing, the good yeah. work. Yeah. It's funny because we used to call the ministry the work, actually. Yeah, um, so we'd say the work. we're going on the work um, this morning. Um, I don't hear that said so much. I think it's probably gone out of fashion a bit. But yeah, we used to call it that. Um, but I don't think we God's saw work. it as the same as secular work. So most Jehovah's Witnesses live, um, you know, they don't live in a compound. They live in, in the community in that they have a house and they go to Bait secular work. To exactly. So... They'll have a job, and that will be one thing, but then there's this other thing that they do, which is to do with being a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and this would apply to other groups who perhaps don't have the compound where they completely separate themselves. In fact, most groups have to have some interaction with the rest of society because they, you know, everybody has to have some means of uh, making a living. Even so, when it's like yeah. the self-employed sort of either yeah. window cleaning, cleaning kind of route, you're still... It's still a job where you're engaging with, you know, paying your taxes in customers, right. you know, you're still in the world doing a job. You're still doing what, what we would call secular work. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'd have this other thing that we'd do, which is uh, our Spiritual part of our work. worship, yeah, and mm-hmm. our work for, for Jehovah in the organisation. But we wouldn't see that as the same thing as the secular work. So in a way you had work secular work you had the work for jehovah um and actually that was kind of your life really so it was there was probably a bit of a boundary between secular work and jehovah's witness work but not much of a boundary between that and in fact i would argue virtually none between your 
work for Jehovah and your life. And in fact, that is the message that you would get. I just wanted to, before we, we move on to the specifics about Jehovah's Witnesses, because obviously that's my background, um, you know, I, I know a lot of Christians um, would feel they have got a balance, and I'm sure they have. So this is not a dig at all Christians. But I think um, in the Bible, there's plenty of examples that groups like Jehovah's Witnesses can use that kind of start to blur that line. So um, I've got a couple of things in mind. Can I just uh, share them with you? Yeah, for sure. Um, So in John 4.31, this is one that I was talking to you about the other night when we came around for tea. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus uh, was, was on the preaching work. His disciples were with him. Um, so John 4.31 says, Meanwhile, this is from the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Um, so this is a... I mean, obviously, it's a biblical verse, but if you think about it in a kind of more secular way, what what he's saying here is that, you know, he basically doesn't have any boundaries between um, work and his service because that is his food, his literal food, um, is to do the work of his father and to finish his work. So... In a way, that sets an example. Um, and, you know, if, if you think about a leader, leaders do set the example for their followers. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if we're being generous, I'm sure Jesus wouldn't have thought about it in these terms. But if you think about what that actually means for people in the modern day society, it means that, you know, really all that matters is the service. Um, and I think Jehovah's Witnesses take it to its logical conclusion there. Mm. And that's what that's what they say. You know, this is what it should be. We've got to start, Jehovah's Witnesses have got to start um, adopting the phrase that's been going around the internet, which is act your wage. <laughs> which act just, your wage. Act that's your wage. Yeah, which is... So if you're getting, us what that means. If you're getting paid minimum wage, give right. minimum effort. <laughs> yes. I That's began acting my wage. It was great. Liberating, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> uh, yeah, act your wage. It, it just means, you know, if they're paying you below what you should be compensated for what you're doing, yeah. then stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. If you're um, being treated badly in an organisation and, you know, mistreated and mm. over-exerted and so act, act your wage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I guess the the Jehovah's Witnesses and others would say that you know your um, what you get is so much more than than what you're giving. So um, you may not get financial rewards, but you get so many other things. Which but I'm, I I'm, would the argue wage doesn't have to be monetary. Let's say you're being paid. Let's say in community, but I are you. Are you being paid in community? Well, or or are you being had a go at when you're in the bathroom yeah. with your red nails? Let's just, you know, to use simple things. <laughs> Throw you, that you back really, 
you really um, that really affected you the whole story about the red nails. No, I just get to really it just annoys me. It just annoys me. It, it's like when um, it's just that small weird bit of power that for some reason people love to ha- mm-hmm. to have over women, mm-hmm. but and they love that in the witnesses, and it's a quick easy example, isn't it? Indeed, um, and there's another going back to the uh, the example of Jesus. There's another uh, gospel account here in Luke ten. And this is Jesus talking directly to his disciples. Um, now, this, I think, is, I would normally say in the Bible that uh, that the character of Jesus comes across as actually a pretty positive one, especially if you compare it to the Yahweh, Jehovah character in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Um, but yeah, this is a little... flooding everyone constantly. Yeah. yeah he does come across better the as the murderer and... dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, this is what Jesus said. Which one of you who has a slave, so that's um, kind Rough. of problematic straight away, uh, plowing or shepherding would say to him when he comes in from the field, come here at once and dine at the table. Rather, will he not say to him, get something ready for me to have my evening meal and put on an apron and serve me until I finish eating and drinking mm-hmm. and afterward you can eat and drink. He will not feel gratitude to the slave because he did what was assigned, will he? Likewise, when you have done all the things assigned to you, say, we are good for nothing slaves. What we have done is what we ought to have done. Uh, You see, when they use things like this to justify, it's like, you're using slavery metaphors to justify yep. we don't you don't have slaves anymore so why are you still okay with doing the metaphor you know well, so saying, because we are slaves i think that is the message no, that i think is no, I is know, but they don't, but they, don't, they they agree that slavery is bad so why is it okay to be in to you know to liken yourself mm. to slavery we know slavery is bad why are you why are you excited to liken yourself to it <laughs> yeah i think it is in- incredibly uh problematic to think of i thought it was going to be going somewhere good then i thought it was going to be like you don't you, what, you don't bring your slave to dinner but you should you should treat them with kindness or something because yeah, you know no, you think the bible is full of kindness but no it's like no you're a slave should be giving you dinner and putting that apron right. on. God damn it. It's like, oh, so oh I thought the Bible is... was kindness. No, it's not. If you're listening to this podcast before September the 25th, 2022, we just wanted to make you aware that we are changing the name of the podcast. But make no mistake, what you loved about What Should I Think About will stay and will continue to be an integral part of Cult Hackers, our new name. Celine and I will still host the weekly podcast and will continue to alternate between a guest episode and a topic episode, with the odd bonus thrown in for good measure. We think Cult Hackers come in many forms. They are the teenager who breaks free from the control of being raised in a cult, They're the more mature person who, after years of devotion to a group, realises it's not too late to get out. They are the researcher who tries to understand what happens with cults. They are the academic who studies the psychological processes. They are the author who puts themselves on the page to tell their story. These and many others are all cult hackers, and we see you. 
you can learn more about cult hackers by going to our new twitter handle at cult hackers and we have a new website page culthackers.com so that's coming up we hope you'll continue to support and listen to the podcast now back to the show The message there is really clear that you are a good-for-nothing slave and that uh, whatever you do is what you ought to have done. So don't expect any kind of gratitude. Um, The narcissism yet again. Yeah. Now, obviously, I guess Christians would would say that I'm misinterpreting that, but I don't think you need to interpret that. It's pretty clear. There isn't an interpretation. What is being said there. (laughs) It's it's like slavery is fine. Um, You're one. (laughs) Yeah, and okay, it, it it is a metaphor, but um, it it's... a metaphor based on the times. Exactly, <laughs> they did yeah, have slaves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, before we start, then the the whole way that the Bible talks about work is clearly from a bygone age, and so the, whilst the time I when guess, slavery is cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, slavery is accepted and uh, the Bible has rules around how to treat your slaves and so on. So the Bible doesn't come down heavily against slavery. Um, But it also, as I say, the message is there that this is the the model which we should be following in terms of our worship to God. So it's no surprise then that organisations like Jehovah's Witnesses and other fundamentalist groups um, will use that metaphor. You know, they are really following what the bible says in in that respect yeah. now i know other um, more progressive christian groups will find ways to make that sort of thing say different things if you like or take different lessons from it um which is fine but i think what it does tell us is that the bible is using a, a code of ethics that is you know thousands of years old and yeah. that's why you get those sorts of issues. So this kind of harks back to our last podcast where we talked about beliefs and should how should we think about beliefs. And I do think that there are times when we need to be able to say, look, this is actually completely inappropriate for our day and age. And this is an example mm-hmm. where the Bible can tell us something. Absolutely. It tells us about how life was like back in 2000 years ago and how people were treated and the, the norms of society, but it shouldn't be seen as a model for how we behave today. And it should, certainly shouldn't be seen as a way for us to think about our relationship with God if we believe in God. Um, so that's that's my view on it. Mm. Um, what I thought I'd do is just go through what it's like to be a Jehovah's Witness and the sort Day of the work life. that you have to do. Yeah, sort of, yeah. And um, I thought I'd just uh, sort of each different grouping, if you like. So let's start with publishers. So the publisher is the, um, I guess, the, the member of the congregation, that it's the lowest rank, if you like. You, oh, right. you be- they're called publishers. Yeah. So um, I suppose unbaptized publisher is perhaps the lowest rank. Um, but a publisher just means that you can officially record your time on the ministry, that's knocking on doors, doing informal witnessing, which is preaching to your school friends or your work friends, workmates or whatever, or just people that you meet. And this is all counted as ministry. So when you're a publisher, you can record that um, and you literally do record it on a piece of paper 
um, to say that you've done so many hours of ministry and you've placed so many uh, Bibles or books. You've done X amount of return visits. You've um, you may have had so many Bible studies um, and so on. So these are these are essentially what these are our KPIs. So in the workplace, lots of our listeners will probably recognise that thing as KPIs. KPIs are key performance indicators. So for a congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, they will count hours, Bible studies, return visits, literature placed, um, number of people at the Kingdom Halls attending, numbers baptised, all of that. These are the KPIs. These are the key performance indicators for the congregation. Of course, they don't get called that, but I'm applying kind of organizational business type uh, language to it because essentially it is the same. And the the elders in particular, to some degree, the ministerial servants are line managers of the publishers. So they they are responsible for the publishers doing these things and recording them and encouraging them to do more and so on. So I see them as line managers essentially. So what is a publisher? What is a publisher expected to do? Um, so they're supposed to do the day's text every day. So every morning they're supposed to read the day's text, which is a little bit of Bible verse with a section from a watchtower on it, which basically is supposed to explain the verse. As that's the start of the day normally. Um, They're supposed to do as much ministry as they can. This will depend on whether they have a full-time job or not. If they do have a a full-time job, then they're encouraged to do informal witnessing in that job. So when the moment arises, you know, at lunchtime. You're just the worst, aren't you? (laughs) You know, when you're at work, everyone's trying to finally chill out on their lunch, and then you're like, so have you considered... God, and specifically uh, my iteration. Yeah, you probably start with something like, you know, oh, what you've been doing at the weekend, so you can say, Ooh. oh, I've been to a convention. I've been to, no, I've been to um, the the you know the meeting because I can't call it church because it's not church in a language that you'd understand. No, <laughs> got to get if, you in. Yeah, or if um, if your workmate over lunch, you know, they're talking about um, the terrible things that are happening on the earth. Um, oh yeah, have you heard about the war? Right, okay then, yes. Um, opportunity for an informal witness. So you're supposed to do that. Um, now I would actually, argue... Yeah. Say again? How many people actually do... Yeah, so that's a good question. And I want to come back to that because um, applying the sort of psychological understanding of how the workplace works and how people are motivated. I would argue that Jehovah's Witnesses are pretty bad at this um, and there's reasons why. And I think I think we can actually start to suggest some of the reasons why um, Jehovah's Witnesses look so miserable a lot of the time when they're on their ministry. I mean, look at the people on the carts. Um, they don't look very motivated. They sit there looking at their phones um, looking We're just pretty bored. On each other. Yeah, and I, I think there's a good reason why that's happening. So I want to come back to that. Let's let's come back to our day in the life of or living your life as a publisher. Um, so you're trying to do as much ministry as you can. Um, you're doing informal witnessing at work if you're at work, um, or you're supposed to. Then in the evening you might go out on the ministry. We used to have evening work sometimes. Um, if you're not going out on the ministry, you might be studying for the meetings when you get home from work. 
Um, you should study the watchtower, which means really you're supposed to not just read the paragraphs, but also follow the scriptures to see where the, the references are. So there's lots of references, so you need to read those Bible verses. Um, so that can take hours, really, if you can do that properly. Um, then there's other personal study you should be doing, really, not just for the meetings. You really should be looking at other things that you're interested in. If you're a family, um, then you'll have a family Bible study. Um, if you're the father, then you have to prepare that and deliver that. If you're a mother, um, then you take part in that. If you're there isn't a man who's a witness, then you have to uh, take that Bible study, um, there may be or may not be a tea towel on the head involved in that process, mm. uh, but that's a different subject. Um, obviously, there's the normal things like praying. Um, you're supposed to pray daily, of course. Um, before sleep, before every meal. Exactly, that sort of thing, yeah. And at other times, really, you're supposed to pray regularly uh, to God. Um, other things you might do, you're encouraged to do, get involved in building work. So you might spend a weekend somewhere doing some building work. Um, you might be part of the regional building. Um, I'm not sure what it's called these days. It used to be called the Regional Building Committee. But anyway, there, there might be some other stuff that you're involved in there. And there has been quite a lot of work over the years. Um, you're supposed to drop in on your elderly brothers and sisters, although... I think that is such downgraded as an important thing to do that I, I wonder. Uh, I think some do it, some mm -hmm. probably don't, but you should really do that. Um, auxiliary pioneer as often as you can. So that's like a, a commitment for a month to spend X amount of hours knocking on doors and so on. I can't remember the hours now. Um, and of course, then giving financially is the other thing, which will require you to obviously have some money to give. So, um, so that there's that all of that is just the publisher that's just kind of the bog standard publisher uh the next type of person i want to talk about is the pioneer which is everything that i've just said uh, plus um you have to do the hours which i believe is currently 70 hours it was 90 a month when i was pioneering but it, i think it's 70 now um of course, that means that you'll have to have a secular job as well, unless you're very lucky. Um, so you'll, you'll pioneer, you'll do that work, and plus all the other stuff that I've just said, and your, your part-time job as well. Um, ministerial servants, they are a kind of, I suppose they, they do the, the menial tasks in the congregation, but also sometimes there are like elders in waiting, if you like, in training, let's call them. Um, so they do all the stuff I've just said, um, but also they'll have an, like an assigned responsibility, which might be to look after the literature, make sure that what you've ordered has come in. Um, you're, you'll have a counter normally at the back of the hall or somewhere where people come and get the books and whatever, so you have to man that. Um, you do the accounts, maybe. The accounts is another role that you might do. Um which itself is quite a responsible role. So you've got, you're talking about money here. Um, sound system, hall maintenance, territory. These are all different roles. You wouldn't have to do all of those, but an individual ministerial servant would do one or more of those. Um, you need to do at least the congregation average on the ministry. So whatever that is, you're supposed to at least meet that if you're um, a ministerial servant or elder. 
And you might also have parts on the meeting. So you have to prepare those, um, create the, the actual part, and then deliver that to the to the hall. Um, finally, if you're an elder, all of that stuff, plus, so everything that the publisher does, everything that the ministerial servant does, apart from the specific roles, um, and in addition, shepherding calls, which is going around to talk to the, uh, the congregation members. Um, you're supposed to do that kind of just because. Um, elders meetings, you'll have regular elders meetings on a sort of monthly basis or something. There'll, there'll be ad hoc meetings. I remember at the end of the meeting, you'll often see the elders go into the back room. They could be there for hours. Um, CO visit, circuit overseer visit, there's meetings to prepare for that and so on. Um, preparing talks, including public talks and meeting parts. Uh, you're involved in the disciplining of the congregation, which could include judicial committees. We've talked about how horrible those are, but they have to do them. They have to prepare for them. So I'm not sort of looking for sympathy for those, but there's a lot of work involved there, I would have thought. Um, elders, schools, uh, preparing for the circuit overseer's visit and so on. Um, so there's just a few things off the top of my head I, I've observed. Um, I never was an elder, but from what I've seen, um, that's just some of the things that, that they do. Uh, I've seen particularly elders absolutely exhausted. Absolutely exhausted. Now, a lot of those elders are uh, family men. So they'll have a regular job, they'll have a secular job, and then they'll come home and they've got all that extra stuff to do as well. Um, it's really, really busy. Especially when you were growing up where it was still more, um, the world was still, it was a bit different with men and women's roles. So it's not like you could necessarily be, even be like, okay, we'll, we'll spread it out a bit in terms of I'll, go, I'll drop a day and you'll pick up here. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, okay, it's all, you know, my responsibility to go to work and do all of this, you know. Yeah, it probably did fall um, that side on the man. Although, of course, the woman, um, her her roles would include all of this stuff that we talked about for the publisher. Being elder's wife is another thing. Yeah, there'll it? be extra things to do there, although it's not an official role, so you don't get any kind of benefits from that but no, uh, not that anybody though. does actually yeah 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 absolutely um as i should have mentioned that all these things are completely without any uh financial reward so they are completely voluntary voluntary there is no uh, remuneration so yeah so there's a heck of a lot of work it's all it's all for free um, I've, and the other thing is i should say that it's all at your own expense as well so if you travel to uh, yeah, they won't help. do the mileage. You don't get any mileage, you know, don't forget that. So it's all at your own expense, and, of course, there is no, no remuneration for it. Um, so it's incredibly busy. And the thing is, is because your, your life as uh, doing the work, whether that be as a, an elder or a ministerial servant or as a pioneer, whatever, or even as a publisher – all of that stuff, because that is seen as part of your worship, um, there, there are no sort of boundaries between what is considered to be work and what is mm -hmm. considered to be life. Yeah. Your life is the work. The work. Mm -hmm. 
you 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 absolutely absolutely are following that uh, Jesus example there, which is, you know, my food is to do the will of my Father, and and that's that's essentially what's happening I mean, there. Just yeah, down to the point where people probably were having to skip meals to be able to fit in everything. Do you know what I mean? To be able to get from work to the meeting, or absolutely, I don't have time to prep this. If I get up early, I can prep it. Um, so you know going down without sleep yeah. without food just without time to decompress or Absolutely. if you need time when you get home from the meeting then losing out on sleep because <laughs> you're like yeah. okay i'm going to stay up for a bit and chill um yeah you know. let's uh, and, and i'm gonna read you a few bits from some of the publications now just to emphasize that this isn't an imagined thing that I personally have. This is actually um, instruction from the organisation. So there's a few little quotes here that I'm going to read to you. Um, and I'll put the links to, to them here. Um, so there's an article here called Making Whole-Souled Sacrifices for Jehovah. So again, remember this uh, loaded language, whole-souled devotion, whole-souled sacrifices. Your whole soul, everything about you, giving to Jehovah. This is a, a very, it's a very powerful way of talking, isn't it? Whole-souled. Um, let me read you a little bit. As we go about our everyday lives, it might seem difficult to relate our activities to making sacrifices for Jehovah. Housework, schoolwork, secular work, shopping and the like might on the surface seem to have little to do with spiritual concerns. However, if you are if you have dedicated your life to Jehovah or hope to do so in the near future, then the spirit with which you approach mundane activities is important. We are Christians 24 hours a day. Scriptural principles need to be applied in every aspect of our lives. Hence, Paul urged us, whatever you are doing, work at it whole-souled as to Jehovah and not to men. So this is this is about putting into people's head the idea that you are a Christian 24 hours a day. So it's not about, there is no work-life separation here. This is about being on all the time. So even if you're doing housework, yeah. schoolwork, shopping, whatever, you are doing it as a Christian. So you are always on. And we talk about that in the workplace. As a, because as if a you think... God is omnipotent. Of course, you'll always be on. Yeah, you? You know? yeah. We're we're always we're always a witness. We're always mm. giving a witness. You know, your very the very name of Jehovah's Witnesses means that everything you do is a witness. Therefore, you always are on. Um, let me continue. When you dedicated yourself to Jehovah, you made that decision without reservation, did you not? Well, actually, <laughs> um, I did would you? say You're... I did have a reservation. <laughs> and um, also, though, you were an infant. <laughs> well, I was 16, so I wasn't Oh, well, oh the, the decision for that. No, but I thought, yeah. I thought you know, when you decided to enter the truth from like, quote-unquote, I mean, yeah. you didn't decide, did you? <laughs> no, but this is total dedication is when you uh, decide to get baptised. Yeah, you pray sure. to God. You pray to Jehovah to say that I'm going to dedicate my life to you. Um, and I did that, but I was about 16 when I, when I did that. Yeah. But I was still a minor in a the child. eyes of the law. Yeah. Um, 
in effect, you said that in every aspect of your life, you would put Jehovah first. That, it, that was a good decision, it says. So again, this is about putting Jehovah first, putting God first in every aspect of your life. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking about, you should always be thinking at it, think about it through this lens of being a Jehovah's Witness. Um, here's a, here's a, where, where it really starts to get, I think, uh, really hard and, and, uh, and de- uh, damaging. One of the most obvious ways in which we as Christians do good things for others is through the public declaration of our hope. Mm-hmm. Do you seize every opportunity to give a witness Paul called this essential Christian activity a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips which make public declaration to God's name. So, again, and I remember feeling this with my very heart and soul, that every opportunity, did I seize every opportunity to give a witness? So you're always on. Somebody at the bus stop, says oh isn't it terrible about the war in russia or in the ukraine oh i should say something um somebody at work talks about the cost of living oh i should give a witness at this point you've just been to an assembly somebody asks you how your weekend was oh i need to talk about this mm-hmm. you are always always on yeah and it's absolutely exhausting mm absolutely exhausting it is that's one reason i don't get too annoyed i suppose when some people have you know said oh there's this magazine are you worried about this because i think well they've been trained for this moment you know what i mean and like if they really believe it then they fear for my life i guess so they're like i've got to do it and if they don't they blame themselves so i guess i don't get angry i just politely decline you know because i don't believe what they believe but yeah. I guess I, it, it helps when you understand. We should pity them because yeah, because if they a, don't do that's it, a tragic. Uh, do you know is. what I mean? You know, mm. if if they think it's my fault that do you know what I mean that mm. you, you know? So I, I don't I don't get angry or weird about Absolutely. it. I'm just polite politely decline. You know. Absolutely, um, I'll carry on. Christians regularly spend time in private or group worship. Jehovah requires us to do so. It is true that we no longer have to observe a strict Sabbath rest or make regular trips to festivals in Jerusalem. However, those ancient observances do have their counterparts in Christian life. God still expects us to desist from dead works and to study his word, pray and attend Christian meetings. So, what do you think dead works is? It's nice things, enjoyment, recreation. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Or, or even you know, unnecessary secular work. Right. So the the message is yes, you know, you have to earn a living, and you should. If if you don't work, then neither let him eat. Is the is the scriptural principle for that? But it is really a means to an end. If you're working above and beyond what you need in order to make a living, then these are dead works. Mm. And Christian family heads take the initiative in conducting family worship with the members of their own households. Regarding our spiritual activities, we do well to ask ourselves, could I improve the quality of my worship? 
Let's just ha- let that just hang there for a moment. What are they saying there? Could I improve the quality of my worship? Think hard. Believe ask, more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're asking you to say, "Are you really doing enough? Could you do more?" And that message is constantly given to you. Could you do more? Could you reach out to do more? Are you doing enough? Could I improve the quality of my worship? This is a constant message that is beaten into you. Yeah. The thing is, because it, it, a lot of this you can apply um, basically bad parenting. You know, the, the, like, the parenting kind of, um, you know, the stuff about like, oh, what is it? Um, the relationships, so like having a safe or a secure attachment. Attach- attachment. Yeah, the attachment. So you can do the attachments mm. and like, you know, people that have um, people pleasing tendencies when they grow up and it's like they go to their therapist and they're like, oh, it's because you had a very anxious attachment and you um, could never, you know, do anything right. And, you know, you'd come home with a 98 and you'd be asked to all nearly there, just two more percent rather than getting a well <laughs> yeah. done. And it's so I guess you could just get a lot of parenting books and analyze the J dubs with them. <laughs> Um, yeah but well, you could, but it doesn't stop is the issue because you don't with with difficult parenting or let's say you know bad parenting at some point you leave you know children leave eventually they have their own lives and they can hopefully untangle what um struggles they have and and come to a better understanding of themselves and what they want from themselves but because it, the jw you're being raised People often say they were raised by the watchtower on the interviews, mm. and mm. you don't, you don't get to move out, and it all goes away, and you can start to untangle it unless you leave the religion, which is far more intense and traumatic than well, it is. These a, things. A, and what we know about some um, attachments um, in in children is that um, whilst you can get help and you can actually improve your attachment um uh, processes for one yeah mm-hmm. style for want of a better word um with others in the future it does affect you so your your childhood is something that will affect your adulthood um and so i think that's a that's a good again a good parallel if you leave um, a high control group that has used this disorganized attachment to to make you feel like the way we've just been describing then when you leave you are still going to have some of those issues associated well, you, you with feel it. so in, in terms of if, if we yeah if we talk about disorganized attachment and like that sort of thing to understand this then if we it means that you you know you don't feel enough um or that you could always be doing more um yeah. what what other things as well have we got coming off of that yeah, uh, and um, you're you're going to you know you may well um, and again individual differences has a part to play mm-hmm. here so people will respond differently to this but I think let's put it this way it's no surprise that people who leave still have some of these damaging patterns of behaviour um, that they developed whilst they were in it especially if they were children when they when they were in it yeah because you've not got something it. else to return to exactly. so yeah you yeah. you feel I imagine a lot of heavy people pleasing tendency is probably present in a lot of people. Indeed, um, yeah. You know, so over over giving yourself. So if someone asks you to do something, saying yes again and again and again and again. Um, 
which again yeah. is one of those areas of work-life balance that he's talked yeah. about quite a lot you know yeah so it's, it's a good different route. people show it in different ways don't they because mm. i don't i don't know do you feel like I, d- I don't see you and think you're someone that overly people pleases but you do no. definitely work a lot and you have a lot of self-pressure if you know yeah. what i mean so like whereas um I don't know, some other people, I'm not going to say who it is in case they don't want me to, but some people, I think, fall more on the people-pleasing side, so they don't necessarily strap themselves to their desk in the way that you do, mm. but they feel an, an, a, a need to to do what other people need from them and that they can't say no to other people. Yeah. Well, I think we've heard that, haven't we, in, in yeah. many of our interviews. You know, people have said that that's – and the books that, that mm-hmm. we read – the autobiographies you know there's there's often uh, those sorts of problems that people have in relationships and so on when when they leave because of that and mm-hmm. um, i just want to just make sure yep. I, I quote the article i've been talking about it's the watchtower from 2012 making whole soul sacrifices for jehovah i'll put the link to the watchtower library on that um i wanted to just talk about one more article and then yeah i want to talk about what we've learned in organizational psychology about Mm -hmm. work-life balance um which i think might be useful um both to think about the issues that are are part of working within a high control group or a cult or you know my experience jehovah's witnesses um but also might help us individually with our uh, hangovers let's call them from from these attitudes you know mm-hmm. so you've i think rightly identified that i tend to have a bit of a problem with that so it has good things but it mm. also has negative things you know i don't want it yeah. to all be doom and gloom you know you do get a yeah. lot of work done you've got a very you're very <laughs> you're very disciplined like self-disciplined um but you know it's also very it high pressure. Sides. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's just um, finish off the, uh, the the messages that you're getting you're as given, yeah. as a Jehovah's Witness. So this is a this is a good example, I think, where it just gets taken to the kind of the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going back a little bit. 1993, our Kingdom Ministry. Yeah, the year you got married, very nice. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, so this yeah, is I the sort of that. message, yes. <laughs> this is the sort of message you're receiving um, yes. in the year you got married. So you're still in at this point. That's right. So our kingdom ministry, I don't know if it's still around, but it was a, um, it was like a, a very, it was like a leaflet really, but it was two publishers. Mm. Um, and we talk about it on the midweek meeting there'll be little articles in there we talk about but it's basically to us as publishers it was just about the ministry that sort of stuff um and this the heading here is summer reminders so we're coming into the summer now summer reminders it was a monthly thing okay so before you get your barbecues out and consider the football um (laughs) reminder exactly Many of us will be away from our home congregations for a time during vacation months this summer, such as while attending district conventions. (laughs) 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 You just sigh, don't you? All the air out of your lungs. You just scream, actually. 
despairing if we will be away at the end of a month we will want to make sure that we send our field service reports to the congregation secretary so these are those kpis i was telling you about again they don't call them kpis but that's what they are why is it so important to send it before as well why can't you just give it in after is it really that important because because um the secretary has to send that data to the society so that is Again, these are KPIs for the congregation. If you're underperforming as a congregation, Mm. they just shut you down. (laughs) No, no, but um, this is it. There is, I mean, the stick is really just, you know, you're you're, you're not following Jehovah's um, uh, instruction. And obviously the society needs to know what work is happening so they can know what food to prepare at the proper time and so on and so on. this should be done early enough to be included with the congregation's monthly report, which the secretary compiles and sends to the society by the 6th of the month. So they have a deadline by which they have to send this data to the society. Um, we also want to be alert. Here's, here's the thing. We also want to be alert to opportunities for informal witnessing. Such opportunities may arise while travelling, visiting with relatives or talking with others we meet. Do we view occasions to give a witness as Jesus did? He did not hold back from giving an informal witness. The Apostle Paul, likewise, bought out the opportune time and enjoyed fine results. Make definite plans to engage in informal witnessing. Be well prepared with a few timely talking points, and have a magazine or a tract at hand to stimulate interest. By carefully following through on these reminders, we will be sure to use our time wisely this summer and will be giving Jehovah our first fruits. Just sack it off and have a barbecue. Like, <laughs> chill out. Enjoy well, a moment of freedom. <laughs> so if you are a sensitive, um, impressionable young person who you know, really is trying to do the right thing and believes it, believes what you're being told. What effect does that have on you? Well, obviously you're going to feel turmoil, the need to do it. (laughs) All the time. Mm. So even if you're going on holiday, you know, you're flying off to Spain or whatever, you're going on your holidays, make sure you take some literature with you. Um, so long as you're not going to a country where the work is banned, because then you might get put into prison. Um, but take some literature, if you can, look for opportunities. And even, Celine, prepare. Prepare before you go on your holidays. Now, how many witnesses actually do this, I think, is is actually probably quite few. But this is one of those areas where you are constantly feeling guilty about not doing what you should be doing. And even if you do that, you're you're only a good for nothing slave. You're only doing what you should have done. Yeah, this is an absolute recipe for depression and demotivation. Well, this is what I'm saying. It's like you know, with with um, with with kids that get you know A's, and it's like, well, why isn't it an A star? Exactly. Or if you do get an A star, it's like, well, that why am I? why should I expect anything less? I, I pay for your tutor or like, you know, I, this is what you owe me. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I think, uh, I feel like I've had a lot of passion on this particular episode because as I started to research it and think about it, you know, those old, old feelings really started to come back, or at least I started to remember what those old feelings were like, this feeling of never having done enough, of always realizing that, you know, I hadn't done that witness there, I hadn't prepared for this over here. Um, but even when you do it, you still feel like you don't get that buzz that you've done the right thing. You just, well, you should have done that anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's a depressing, depressing life. Um, so that's one of the reasons I think that Jehovah's Witnesses often do look depressed, especially when they're on the cart or trudging around, knocking on doors. The only bit of pleasure they get is through talking to each other. But in terms of pleasure doing the work, I don't think you see that. Not in the not in the main. No, no surprise. No. Okay. Um, shall we switch now and get into um, thinking about how how the workplace has thought about this and how psychologists have investigated this and how how we can be more healthy with our work-life balance. Um, this is a, I did a module on this in my organizational psychology course. Um, and it is a big, it is a big area within occupational psychology um, because. Well, you get people dealing with mental health issues and occupational psychologist is brought in, isn't it? Exactly. Or you're recommended to go see the occupational psychologist. Uh, That's right. And their job is to find out what's wrong what's causing the issue if it's a work-related issue how can we deal with it and make it better right absolutely and um and 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 the research side of of ox psychology i I must say i'm not an occupational psychologist um uh, but um it, it is part of the the studies that i did um in organizational psychology i won't get into the the detail of the difference mm. but um but it even on the research side of course what organizations are trying to do and what academia is trying to do is make organizations healthier places to be yeah and this this whole interface between work and non-work is actually really important and i would argue getting more and more important because of our move uh from the workplace into either working from home yeah. yeah or hybrid working though also not just that i think it's with increasing technology regardless because yeah. i've had roles which are not which are entirely in in the workplace no remote or working at all but i was on <laughs> more than yeah. you know people i know that do work from home because of whatsapp teams Microsoft Teams, yeah, yeah. stuff like Slack. Um, yeah. So yeah. you know, so not just to use my examples, but you know, people being, yeah. you know, constantly they go home and then constantly harangued, and it's like the culture of like, you know, oh, I won't call you when you're on holiday. It's like, oh no, no, call me, call me if you need me. Um, right. And everybody then kind of takes that on slowly but surely. That kind of attitude it builds and it becomes more and more encroaching on your life absolutely um and i think this is an area that uh people that do this sort of thing uh podcasts Mm -hmm. and um uh i i don't see myself personally as an activist but um a lot of the people that do podcasts and and videos and stuff they they are 
they do consider themselves activists. Um, and I think there's a real risk there as well. You know, you, you find yourself um, obviously constantly thinking about it, being reminded about it. The You might get a, an email or a tweet, a DM or um, a, a message on, as you say, WhatsApp or something like that. And, and yeah, you, this can really affect you even late in the evening. You know, you're sitting down, you're watching a bit of TV um, and all of a sudden you notice an email you've got about something. Oh, I should have organized that. Uh, I forgot to get back to them uh, or haven't read that thing yet. You know, and it, it actually can be a bit of a problem. I think it is an area that ex-members of groups who are trying to publicize the issues and perhaps have podcasts and YouTube channels need to be careful of it. I think there can be a lot of burnout happens because of that. You tend to be kind of always thinking about it. And as you say, because of the technology now, it's, yeah, it's very difficult not to, not to have that always on thing Mm -hmm. even then. Mm -hmm. And as we've said, because you've been possibly conditioned to be that way in your ministry. Yep. When you leave that, you don't have boundaries. You, you don't see that, do you? This is this is the new thing that you're doing yeah, now. You've all never the time. created boundaries, so you don't yeah. know if you are overstepping your boundaries. You Absolutely. don't have any to overstep. Yeah, that's. I think we should just flag that really because that's a really important point. Um, maybe there's a a greater risk for ex members of these groups who then go on to do either activism or um, publicising their experiences and talking about it on these sorts of platforms there is a real risk and i know i felt it from time to time every now and again i do have to just say right i'm not doing any of it today because mm. it also takes an emotional toll on you um at times you just you know what i'm absolutely up to here with it now mm-hmm. i just just can't take any more in a way you should you shouldn't have to get to that point really i think you should you should be able to uh, before you get to the point of I just cannot think about this anymore. <laughs> I think it, it, probably that's too late then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's um, that. I think that's a really important point. Right, I want to quote a paper which was written by one of my uh, former tutors. Actually, it's called um, "Work Life Balance in the Police." The Development of a Self-Management Competency Framework by McDowell and Lindsay. Uh, so this is a mixed methods paper, in other words, using different methodologies. So it was partly interviews with members of the police force um, who obviously, you know, there's concern about work-life balance for everybody, including this group, um, and then followed with questionnaires. So there was some what we call qualitative work, which is the interview stuff, and then some quantitative work with the analysis of the answers to the questionnaires. Um, They had data from 500 organisations. So that's a big, big study looking at a particular police force. And it is really just as a a way to do the research. Um, Obviously, each organisation will have its own idiosyncrasies, but... It wasn't that they wanted to know particularly about the police force. It's just an organisation that that is, you know, a good way to to think about this stuff. Um, So in papers, they normally do like a 
a, a data, sorry, a literature review first. So what, what's the current state? So if you're reading um, academic papers, by the way, a good a good way to read them is to um, look at that literature review because that's quite interesting. That will give you a good rounded understanding of what the state of play is currently. So even though the paper itself might not be something you're particularly interested in, the literature review is where somebody's scoured the academic literature and have done a review of what there is currently. So that's a really useful resource. Um, and then the methods bit is normally a bit boring and the results bit is often hard to understand. The discussion at the end then is is a good place to read again. So just a, a little tip if you're reading academic papers, the literature review and the, the discussion at the end, two most important bits, I would argue. Um, okay, so... They, they in the literature review they identify that in other research data from 500 organizations identified work-life balance as the key occupational health concern so obviously it's a big area of concern and the issues were things like work family conflict so you know being at work and then coming home to your family and the two not always uh, agreeing with each other if you like um, and the areas of interest that they were looking at were things like conflict between the workplace and what you were doing at work and then at home. But also there's times when what you're doing at home might enrich your work performance and vice versa. So being at work also then can make your family life better if you feel that you are fulfilled and so on. Um, coping strategies and border theory. So border theory is quite an interesting one, which is worth talking about. We've hinted at that, I think, already, in that a lot of researchers see, if, if you think about the workplace as one domain, your family life or your private life as another domain, um, but think about them as two sort of, bubbles coming close together and as you get together there's a kind of border in between and that's where the issues can arise so that's where you have to decide how am I going to you know cope with this how much of my work life is going to encroach upon my family time how much of my family time is going to encroach upon my work time and so on so it's these it's the management of these borders that that are really important um, and that's where you know we sometimes get it wrong I guess the other thing that was really interesting in this research in the broader literature is that the big five personality traits um, seem to have a part to play here which I, I think we would not be surprised about Celine can you remember the big five personality traits mm, um conscientiousness that's one of them um neuroticism that's another one um introversion to extroversion yeah that's um, another one what, how many more have i got to get two more mm. agreeableness yeah agreeableness yeah. that's another one and what have we said um ocean is a good way to remember it openness to um experience i suppose so mm -hmm. remember the acronym ocean openness conscientiousness um extroversion um neuroticism i think i've missed one there agreeableness neuroticism 
Um, yeah, so these are the big five. And it identifies that particularly neuroticism and agreeableness as being quite significant. Well, yeah, I guess if you're very agreeable and very neurotic, yes. life's going to be difficult for you, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just saying yes to everything. Yeah. And, and yeah, being terribly and upset about, about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I would also suggest oh, no, that I, I'm, surprised, uh... <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm no, surprised conscientiousness no, no. isn't in there as well because um, I think if you're really conscientious as well, that can really make work-life balance difficult because you're constantly thinking, "Oh, I should just do that thing because it's not quite right," or uh, "I need to, I need to spend a bit more time on that." Um, mm. As somebody that's quite high in neuroticism and conscientiousness, life's a nightmare. <laughs> And I think that is where the, the work-life balance issues happen. But again, going back to life in a cult, that obviously, again, has a part to play in that. You know, if you are highly neurotic or quite high in neurotic uh, neuroticism, um, uh, very agreeable in terms that you'll say yes to everything and also conscientious, I mean, this is a person that is likely to be really quite affected, I think, by life in yeah. a cult. Maybe the agreeable versus conscientious debate that we're having here. Maybe this is, um, if you're agreeable, it's like, you know how I said, some people are more concerned with pleasing others and some are yeah. more concerned with their self, you know, self-determined what's important. And that's the conscientious mm. side of it. Could Two be. different ways of coming at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, talking about self, um, another thing that seems to have an effect is something else we've talked about on this podcast, which is self-efficacy. Um, so self-efficacy is the belief that you can, if you like, you can do it. You have the um, ability and the opportunity to do something that you perhaps want to do. So high levels of self-efficacy and self-esteem negatively correlates with these problems to do with work-life balance. In other words, if you have high levels of self-efficacy and high levels of self-esteem, you are less likely to have problems with work-life balance. Um, so again, this thing, self-efficacy, is such, such an important one. And again, something that is damaged, I think, by cults. Yeah. They don't want you to believe in yourself. They don't want you to think that you can they constantly tell you that you can't, that you don't have the skills or that it's not possible because the world is such a terrible and bad place. So again, I think cults undermine a sense of self-efficacy and self-esteem, you're a good-for-nothing slave. So again, this is dampening down these necessary qualities. So again, I think that's that's an interesting area. So what they came up with, actually, they, they did this research and they came up with they were actually looking to find a competency framework for uh, good and healthy work-life balance. So in other words, there are, there's an element of skills, knowledge and attitude here about how people manage this. So how good are we at managing work-life balance? And they identified eight competencies. So I'll just read these out to you because they're, they're kind of common sense when you look at them, but this has been reached through research. So it's not just common sense. This is actually how the research spat out at the end of it, these eight competencies. I'll put a link to the paper i don't know if you'll be able to access the paper um currently uh there may be a paywall behind it but these are the eight competencies so one keeping perspective so the ability to keep perspective increases your likelihood at setting those boundaries and being able to to manage your work-life balance uh, 
Two, this boundary management itself, knowing where your boundaries are between work and non-work and having a way of saying, right, this is where I'm going to put this, this is where I'm going to put that. Being organized, I think that's a very interesting one. Lack of organization tends to create um, these difficulties of work-life balance because to get you, oh, I forgot to do that, I'm going to have to do it at home, that sort of thing. Proactively prioritizing work-life balance. So seeing it as important and prioritizing what you're doing. Uh, Managing flexibly. Um, sort of speaks for itself I think lifestyle changes so actually making changes to how you're going to do your work it could even be little things like having a separate room for when you're doing work from home for instance that could be something that you do cooperation and coordination and managing expectations both yourself and other people in the workplace so there are some practical things that that you can do obviously sort of expand upon those what do those mean how do you do them we could talk about those another time but i thought they were quite useful mm. i don't know what you think about that well i think yeah having the separate space is good i mean we're, i'm about to transition into hybrid working so we've got um a home office um yeah. i'll say we we're saying we sleep really well at the moment and we think it's because the bedroom is just the bedroom now it's not you're not working it's not working in there not yeah living in there because you know when you have housemates it's different because it's not your personal living room it's like everybody's Mm. living room so sometimes you go and you just chill out in your room so you sit on your bed and you do work on your bed sometimes or you'll be looking at your laptop on the bed because the laptops are travelable so it's easy done Mm. um but yeah sleep sleep really well at the minute because you know it doesn't it's not being encroached on that's really interesting i mean one of the other things that the research suggests is that it's really important for people to take the initiative themselves and to decide how they want to do it so one of the the early problems with work-life balance research and then action was that it kind of was a bit parental in that you know it was decided how many hours you should be working and then the organization would switch your email off or would stop you from doing something at certain times Mm. and that didn't suit everybody um you know, because obviously people live different lives and for some it's really useful and it reduces yeah. stress to be able to do something in the evening or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you might say you might say you've got kids and it would exactly. be good if you could go pick the kids up from school and then bring them home and then be able to carry on again. Um, yeah. So like having a break for an hour at like three, bringing them home and stuff Absolutely. and then starting again doing another hour later when technically you'd be finished but you're not really because you've moved it it around so flexibility but having um the autonomy to be able to actually make decisions for yourself about when you're going to do it Mm -hmm. um can be helpful but again also can be a problem because it gives you the opportunity to work all the time if you want so Mm -hmm. this is i think being mindful of what you're doing and the prioritizing work-life balance as one of those factors is is really important if it's imposed from above it doesn't work if you're not mindful of it though you can soon find yourself being engrossed in work all the time and that that can be a problem yeah um the, the other theory i wanted to briefly talk about we've talked about this before which I think it's a fantastic theory. It's called self-determination theory by Desi and Ryan. So self-determination theory says that individuals have three primary psychological needs. 
Um, and these are types of intrinsic motivators. So intrinsic means they come from within. Um, and if you're thinking about being motivated, which also relates to your psychological well-being, then these three things are that you need, firstly, a sense of autonomy. So you need to feel that you are in control of your own life and that you can make decisions for yourself and that you are able to make decisions for yourself. Feelings of competence. You feel that you are able to do things. You are competent. You have the skills and knowledge required to do things for yourself. Mm. And relatedness, a feeling of being related to something else, to a community, even to the wider community. You are related, you are positioned in relation to other people and other things. So those are the three intrinsic motivators according to self-determination wow. theory. The second one was lost to me <laughs> in previous <laughs> times. What? Tell me more about that. Um, micromanaging. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very demotivating, I would yes. say, because yeah. having to always explain what you're doing, if that's okay, can you do this? You know, do do you trust my judgment to do this is frustrating and demotivating. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, think about how cults operate, you know, and think about all that we've talked about this morning or today on our podcast recording around the way that we were spoken to, that, that Jehovah's Witnesses talked to about um, what they should be doing and so on and so on. Do you think that you get a real sense of autonomy if you're in a cult? No. Absolutely not. You know, this is one of the things that you you don't have. You don't have a sense of autonomy. You are told what to do. You are told what to think. You're told when to do it, how to do it. And your sense of autonomy is really damaged, which damages one of those three primary psychological needs, which itself has a knock-on to how motivated you feel. Mm -hmm. Feelings of competence. You know, if you're to constantly being told you are a sinner, good-for-nothing slave, this is this is going to tell you that you are not competent. Um, again, does that motivate you? No. Does it damage you psychologically? Yes. Mm -hmm. Relatedness is the only one I would say that you perhaps do feel in a cult, but it's yeah. very narrow. Yeah. It is only the group. Mm -hmm. And your relatedness to the rest of the world is cut off. Uh, to varying degrees. Um, so I think, you know, when you come to think about why Jehovah's Witnesses often look miserable, fed up, demotivated, I would argue it's because as an organisation, they are not doing the things for their people that a good organisation does. An organisation that wants to motivate its people gives people an opportunity to have this sense of autonomy, mm -hmm. feelings of competence, and feel related and actually, these groups don't do that. They they get obedience through different ways, and generally they use extrinsic motivators. So an extrinsic motivator is something like external reward or punishment. So do this, or you're going to die at Armageddon. Do this, or you'll sin against the Holy Spirit. Do this, and you'll live forever in paradise on earth. These are extrinsic motivators. There's another type of extrinsic motivator called introjected. So introjected motivators are things that start from the outside, 
but a bit like Jilly Jenkinson talks Interjects, about interjects. Yeah. Um, these are things that we take into ourselves. So the two poles of this are self-esteem and guilt. So things that we are rewarded for, you know, you give a good talk. Oh, well done. That was a really good talk, Stephen. Um, or you, you know, you do something that you're rewarded for. That's you start to build a sense of self-esteem, but it's coming from outside. It's introjected. You feel it yourself inside, but it's coming from outside. Feelings of guilt. And I would argue there's a lot of guilt within the organization. Feelings of not doing what I should have done. Feelings of done things in the past that I'm, I, feel, I feel bad about. Uh, maybe before I was a witness even. Feelings of guilt. Being a sinner all the time asking for forgiveness. These are interjected. Um, another extrinsic motivator is identified, which is about identifying the values that you see outside as being aligned to you. And the final one is integrated, which is where you assimilate the external internally. So a bit like the interjected, but those are extrinsic motivators. And although the last two can be quite powerful, they are still extrinsic. They don't come from the individual themselves, which is why I think a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses are so miserable. Mm. Just my opinion. I don't think, you know, any work specifically has been done on that, but I think that's a really interesting way to apply that theory to high control groups and cults. Something that I, I think, you know, there's a big opportunity to do actually is look at these um, organizational psychological models and apply them to cults because they they are relevant hmm. That's interesting isn't it so when when you leave um for me it's thinking about how do we how do we find better ways of of um getting this work-life balance right it's about remembering what what we need ourselves and what mm. we need is this sense of autonomy you know it's up to us how much of that uh, thing we want to do or not feelings of competence and relatedness um, I think you know trying to increase those increasing levels of self-efficacy and self-esteem these are the sorts of things that might help us with with that issue and just being aware of it I suppose um, you point it out to me quite a bit um, so but being aware of the dangers of, of carrying on that pattern from mm -hmm. being a member of a high control group um, to something then you might do when you leave, I think there's a there's a real danger, uh, and we haven't talked about even just when you look at your career after you've left. And I know this happened to me. When you look at your career and you think, "All oh, right, I really want to," that's what I'm going to focus on now. You you essentially put all your energies that you put into that work as a Jehovah's Witness. Then you plow all of that into your career. And the 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 joy of leaving is that you can spread things yeah. you know yeah i think something that's important to remember is like the goal isn't the priority maybe but you're the priority you know everything's very goal oriented and like mm. maybe it's like we focus on being happy <laughs> and some yeah. and and there'll be things that you do within that so like having a career that you enjoy it doesn't have to be success in some deemed terms just a career you enjoy mm. is you know that that's good and you know prioritizing things like yourself so 
you know you're happier when you go on your bike rides and you get out and about and you see friends and you do things those are priorities too and they can all be priorities they don't have to one doesn't have to win and everything else takes a back seat yeah that's that's really good advice and i think you you do get into this self-sacrificing mentality so Mm -hmm. you you tend to think you know this isn't important enough this is this isn't this takes priority this is this is unimportant and it's like no (laughs) these things are important you're important your selfhood is important and different things are required to be okay (laughs) not just one great task yeah I think that's that's absolutely right. Okay, well, um, I, I feel like we've we've really got into that. Mm-hmm. We've really dug into that really well. So thank you for for that discussion. I've kind of enjoyed that. Look at that! Hope... I'm good at the topic choices. You are. You are very good. Um, <laughs> you're good at roti, and you're good at um, coming up with topics. Uh, we've got some really interesting guests coming up. By the way, we I, I managed to to interview quite a few people that I've met at the ICSA, um, some of which I've done with you, some of which I've done on my own, but we have quite a few already recorded, ready to roll. So we've got some really interesting people. Uh, so I guess for patrons, for at least for interviews, those are going to be coming out early for a bit, like, you know, yeah. a little bit early because they, they come out for the patrons a few days before, don't they? That's right. Um, so obviously, if you wanna if you wanna get that sneak preview, then mm. then become a patron. Or mm-hmm. if you would like to join in our monthly Zoom chats, then become a patron. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to start doing a sort of ask us anything uh, feature. Um, so yeah, which, then, yeah, I think that will get priority to the patrons. Patrons, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we will put it on Twitter as well, but. Um, priority for answering the questions to the patrons absolutely so uh, that's that's coming up soon as well so yeah it's just a pound a month or a dollar fifty which is the equivalent us dollar um i don't know what it is in all the different uh, currencies that people use around the You're world working out, uh, yeah but it's a small amount it's the lowest you can do on patreon and we're trying to keep it like that um, I was given advice by experts that you need to have tiers and everything, but I've, I'm just trying to make it really, really easy and simple and mm-hmm. cheap for mm-hmm. everybody. So um, it would be great if we could, uh, yeah, if you wanted to join, be a patron, that's fantastic. Um, but if not, that's also cool. The main thing is that you are a listener. So don't forget to subscribe if that's the thing that you do on your app. Leave a review. Leave a review. Uh, we've had some reviews uh over the last few months but again we're probably due for some more it, it's yeah, great it really can. helps grow the podcast um yeah. more than you know so if you could that'd be really helpful even if you just wrote a one word review like good this was great yeah um, that would be these fun. old you know um the algorithm the algorithm is going to get you um so the algorithm is going to get you if you uh, are trying to get the work out there and get people to hear it it's um yeah it matters apparently if people are writing reviews so please Mm -hmm. do great well thank you very much it's been lovely talking to you Celine bye for now goodbye what should I think about is an evil sheep production 